This past week, there erupted in Washington, D.C., another controversy between students at Kentucky's Covington High School uh, who were there to protest, uh, actually to um, call for the right to life movement. They collided uh, with uh, a small group of Native Americans who were there to call for their cause, social justice, to be recognized. And then there was on the side uh, a group of, um, I think if I read this right, uh, they called themselves Black Israelite, is that right? That were shouting things into the friction that was already there. And within moments, the controversy erupted into near violence. Uh, and as we push back from that moment, or as you have, I've watched the news, it seems like what's happened in Washington in the last week is so typical of what's happened in our country in the last few years. Whenever there is a difference of opinion, people have gathered more to talk than to listen. And rather than take a knee to someone else's voice, they try to overpower the other person's voice. Uh, and so as the controversy was erupting, the high school students went into a chant. Um, the Native Americans began to drum louder. And then the voices from the side got even more angry and virulent. From there, we chose up sides. The media downloaded this conflict, and each part of the media, with its own biases, reported uh, the story in a certain way that caused the public to become even more deeply entrenched in positions that they already had. More concerning than the conflict in Washington was the posts that people were writing online for the public to see. And I was watching what began as really a small fissure become wider and wider as the public got involved. I, somehow, there were thousands of people who, who felt that they needed to have an opinion on this. And that they needed to post that opinion and I think what concerned me uh, is not that our culture is becoming more and more um, intellectually prejudiced and uncivil. That's the problem in and of itself. What concerns me is that as long as people are always talking and not listening, then no one is learning. And if no one is learning, then no one is teaching even if they think they're teaching, they're not teaching because no one is learning. No one, it seems, is changing their mind. No one, it seemed, is in process. Everyone has already arrived at the furthest reaches of their opinions. That, it seemed to me, was typical of so many controversies in our culture today. 
What if there was another community that lived and practiced another way? When they got together, they were each from different traditions, each steeped in different theological bents, each of them read the Bible differently. Each one of them had a different list of things that was important to them. And so they weren't at all the same. In fact, they were very different from one another. But somehow when they got into the room together, instead of overpowering the other person, they listened to the other person. So, so they had one foot deeply placed in their own corner of the room. They weren't going to take that out. But they had the other foot placed in the center of the room where all people meet. And in the center, they would submit to one another. And they would instruct one another. They would teach one another. They would admonish one another. They would love one another. They would carry one another's burdens. So while each one of them kept a foot in their own tradition, their own experiences and their biases, but the other foot in the center of the room, they always had something different to bring to the center of the room. You see, if we all take both feet out and jump in the center, we have nothing to teach one another anymore because we're all the same. But if we simply stand in the corner of the room and shout towards the center, trying to take hostages and bring them over to our side, why? We don't have a future any larger than the future we already have. See, when a community opens itself up to people who are not in the community, they suddenly have a potential they didn't have before. Now the future is bigger than the collection of people that's already here. Paul envisions a community like this. Um, in his writings where he says, I am convinced, my brothers, that you are full of goodness and that you are complete in knowledge. So you're competent to instruct one another. So submit to one another. The word means literally to yield under, take knee, to one another. <laughs> and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and set an example for other believers in your speech, in your life, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Now, it wouldn't be a large community, but it would be outward focused. 
It would be open. It would be willing to accept people that were not like itself. And rather than compete with one another, they would get in under people and they would lift one another up. Instead of fighting with the other person's perspective, they would empower the other person's perspective because it was closer to the truth when the two of us came together than when one of us argues alone. That'd be a place, wouldn't it? Are you guys okay? I have a dream. I deeply believe you cannot heal our country without that community. I don't think it's possible. Somebody's got to go first. They just got to get into a room and take a knee. And they got to learn from one another. Now, the question is, what are they learning? What's the subject? Now, you understand this is an academic community. So if I say this in any other church, it's an open question. But when you say this in an academic community, what are we learning from one another? You understand just about every discipline in the room says, what, 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 I think I know. Which makes the, um, uh, the under-intellectual people <laughs> like myself and maybe three others in the room pretty nervous. So I defaulted, uh, if it's okay, with those of you that have really far more experience than me, I've defaulted to the words of Jesus. I thought that'd be okay. Uh, what Jesus said in the parable in Matthew chapter 7 uh, was that he compared two people uh, and he compared them on the basis of, and these are his words, not mine, those who hear my words and put them into practice. They are like a man who builds on the rock or the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like someone who builds on the sand. And I think just a moment ago, we heard Jordan saying, man, I about said hallelujah, except I'm Dutch and we don't do that. It, you cannot put into practice what you do not hear. But what she taught us was you actually only hear what you put into practice. Because hearing is more than just listening and internalizing. It means to put into practice. And so really the only stuff we actually know is not what we've memorized or what we teach, but what we faithfully put into practice. Yes, this is what we're trying to get more of. So it seems to me that in a one another community, the thing that we are trying to teach all of the time is Jesus. Now, I know it sounds like a spiritual answer. It means the subject is always Jesus, not thoughts about Jesus, not experiences of Jesus, not the historical Jesus. 
the living one, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was dead and is alive forevermore in the room, that Jesus. Not my personal friend and savior, no. The one who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Things visible and invisible, things in heaven and things on earth. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, have their being. That Jesus, he's the subject. And the outcome of the class is not just facts or data, it's always obedience. The one who builds his house on rock is not one who memorizes Jesus or one who teaches Jesus. It's one who puts into practice things that Jesus has said. Amen. See, so now that the subject has changed from thoughts about Jesus to Jesus, and now that the subject has changed from information to transformation, everybody can play. Ain't that beautiful? The problem, because in my brain there's always a problem, is that we don't know which things of Jesus to do. Now I know some of you are like, well, we do all of them. But you don't. Some of them. When Jesus says, love one another, we do that. But when he says, love your enemies, love your local heroin dealer. Don't shoot him. Love the guy who ran off with your wife. Come on. Love. America's enemies. See, now it gets dicey. So when Jesus uh, says, if your brother offend you, why forgive him? We do that. But when he says, if your right hand offend you, cut it off. We don't do that. <laughs> So when Jesus says to be generous, we say we are. But when he says, give to everyone who asks from you. All right. There's a dude in Walmart. You seen him? Stand out there with his sign in his hand. I won't buy the dude three times and never gave him anything. Did you? So, you know, what I'm saying is 
when we talk about doing these words of Jesus, we got to know, well, wait, because wait, wait, wait. some of these things seem like plain sense, but other things are just kind of figures of speech. And what I'm a little uh, maybe sarcastic, but it seems to me we treat as figures of speech as things that need to be figures of speeches because they're too daggum hard. So maybe the better way to do this is just to step back and say, let's look at Jesus. Let's not argue about meanings and words and syntax. Let's look at the life of Jesus. And I tried to, I, I, I've tried to summarize it in, uh, if I had a whiteboard, um, I would do this, but I'm gonna use the screen today. Let's put the first triangle up there. Um, I see maybe three parts of becoming like Jesus. I'll be really, really fast about this. The first part of becoming like Jesus is for me, the mind. He's asking, Paul said, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. That means when Jesus did things different from the way I do them, it's because he saw the world different from the way I see it. For him, loving his enemies was not a discipline or an act. It was the natural response to someone who thought the way that Jesus thought. In other words, if I knew about my enemies, what he knew about his enemies, well, I'd forgive them too. But I don't. If I knew about money, what he knew about money, it'd be a lot easier to get rid of it. But I don't know these things. And so part of the transformation process is to be around people who can expand our knowledge of the mind of Christ. Cognitive, if you will. But the other part is behavioral. There is a moment at which I have to stop learning and start practicing or else what I'm learning will get stuck. John said, this is how we know that we are in him. If a man claims to be in him, he must walk as Jesus walked. 1 John 1 verse 6, if you're keeping score. So there is a moment at which I have to take what I know, and I, I, I just say, I am educated way beyond my level of obedience. I know, and, and all the while I do this, I still will say, well, I don't know how to do that. Somebody will say, well, you need to be more practical. You need to tell us how to do that. And you're right, I need to be more practical. But may I just point out that there's a lot of things you know how to do, you still ain't doing. Uh-huh, and there's a lot of things that when you started doing it, you didn't know how to do it. You learned it while you were doing it. So it's possible that in addition to being practical, we just need to be more tenacious. We need to be more committed and more patient with ourselves and more disciplined to things that we believe in. That's possible. We don't have to wait for more cognitive information so if I, if I would say to some of you, if you're struggling with the cognitive side, get smart teachers. I've had brilliant teachers, brilliant teachers. Find smart teachers. If you're struggling with the behavioral side, quit waiting for more information, just do it. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Because it's so urgent, it cannot wait. 
Just do it. You'll figure it out. If you think Jesus wants you to do something, fumble away at it. You'll find your own way. And then there is this dispositional side. Oh, the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. And when Jesus saw the man, he loved the man in Mark chapter 10. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. I give my peace in John 14. He said, I've said these things that your joy may be and that my joy may be in you in John 15. He's talking about deep-seated states of mind. (laughs) You can have a heart of joy even when your team gets eliminated from the playoff. (laughs) That's some serious religion right there. You see, it's a temporary bout with frustration. Trust me, I know these things. But at the bottom of your heart, you can have the disposition. Now, here's what I noticed. Is small groups and communities and churches or offices, teams, they tend to migrate towards one of these three things. So you're all full of experiences and testimonies, but strangely devoid of doctrine or systematic teaching or They are so full of doctrine and systematic teaching that they mean, they mean. This is where a good mother When you have surpassed your mother in knowledge, but she's still a nicer, more gracious person than you are in disposition, you can learn from somebody who is intellectually behind you. Yes? So what Paul and what Jesus is suggesting is that we change the subject from information to transformation. We make him the point. We make obedience the outcome. And so everybody becomes a teacher because people have different corners on things. So I'm going back to Paul. I'm going to hurry now. I'm going back to Paul to say, well, Lord, how do I become? How do we become this kind of of a team, this kind of a place or an office. And what I noticed in these words of Paul is that he, he, uh, he uses different language for different players. And he's talking about the same thing, but he's not talking in the same language. And the words actually mean something else. Part of the time he's talking about teachers, people that instruct us. And part of the time he's talking about admonishers people that challenge us or confront us. And then part of the time, he's talking about models, people that set an example, or they live, as Peterson said, a long obedience in one direction. Now, those are all about teaching, but they're different roles. So because we think diagrammatically, I put them in the pyramid.
Let me play with this for a minute, and then I'm going to be done. When the Bible talks about teaching one another, it's talking about coming into the room with questions instead of statements. Rather than sitting at the table and saying, I am eager to tell this group of people what I know, we have to be in a state of mind that says, I am eager to hear things I do not know. And they could come from any direction. Remember, as the, as the Nobel-winning scientist said, true story, the greatest obstacle to knowledge is not ignorance. It's the illusion of knowledge. It's when we think we know, we can't learn anything beyond our little corpus of ideas. So, so we have to come into rooms in discussion more than in lectures. And rather than ask for facts or data, we have to ask, how do we become more like Jesus? How do we put into practice these words of Jesus? That's a different mind. We are looking for people who are full of goodness and they're complete in knowledge. Paul says they rightly divide the word of truth. They don't just quote the Bible. They seem to know the whole Bible and what they quote is consistent with not just the words of Jesus, but the spirit of Jesus comes through while they're quoting him. Are you still with me? We want people that push us, that give us ideas we've never had before. Bud, can I pick on you a moment? I'm a gonna. My first class with Bud Benz, he started out by saying, now this class is based on disputation. Since I have a doctorate and you don't, I'd say it gives me a slight advantage. That's a nice way of saying, I'm lightning and you're the lightning bug. But we're gonna get into an argument. And then soon after that, Bud goes into this long diatribe about prayer in the public schools, telling us how it was overstating the Christian agenda and we didn't need it in there. And I sat there as a little white boy from North Lakeport, Michigan, thinking, I can't believe this school has not vetted this guy out. This is the theology department for crying out loud. Not even sure that guy is saved. He went on and on about this. Nobody said a word while Bud waxed eloquent on these. You understand where I'm from, everybody's white, everybody's Republican, and everybody's carrying. That's where I was from. So you got some guy go off like this. I think, man, this is the edge of the world. We go on a break and we sit down in the lobby. Bud comes out and says, how are you guys liking the class? Two guys next to me said, oh man, it's really interesting, sir. I was like, oh, stop. 
And because my mama didn't teach me manners or I didn't learn them, I just said, I think you're out of your mind. That's what I think. He said, what, really? I said, you're flat bat crazy. And rather than fight it, he just went, if you know him, he just went, come on. <laughs> Which is an invitation to a fight. And he was right. He was lightning. I was the lightning bug. But the important thing is he introduced to us ideas that are outside of us. When we gather in echo chambers and hear only our own ideas stated more eloquently, no one is learning anything. In an article called Echo Chambers Lifeway Research, searched over a thousand Christians, pulled over a thousand Christians, and get this, more than 50% of them said, my political views are the same as other people in my church. Then they asked them a second question is, do you prefer to attend a church where other people's views are the same as yours? And half of the people said, I prefer a church like that. But that wasn't the shocking part. The shocking part was... The younger the respondent, the more likely they were to say it. Yeah, this isn't a bunch of 70-year-old Fox News watchers with ramparts up around their belief system. This is a group of open-minded people. <laughs> as long as it's all the same mind. You see the problem? And so when we gather in communities like this, we cannot learn because no one is pushing us to places we have not been. Somebody's got to say things tick you off. So when you come out and you say, I don't agree with what you said, Steve. I don't agree with that. I generally say, I hope I'm wrong in a way that helps you get it right. You understand? My job is not to be right all the time. You would have fired me years ago. My job is to introduce into the body the teachings of Jesus. And if I can, stimulate discussion so that in the body life, truth rises. That's a good vision. Second thing I noticed is that most of us in this day have a lot of teachers with electronic media. We have podcasts but we don't have many admonishers. To admonish is to call us out. It's to say, Steve, you gotta stop that. It's below you, man. And, and what's happening in today's culture is people are confessing a lot in the name of authenticity. But the moment you speak a word of admonishment into their authenticity, they get defensive again. What they really mean is, this is me, and you must accept me as I am. But in a one another community, there's admonishing going on. And so the mantra is, this is me. Take me and make me better. Transform me. It's different. We can say hard things to one another, but the problem is in most communities, the relationships are too fragile to sustain high levels of confrontation. People leave if we do that. 
friendships break up if they find out someone doesn't like what the other person is doing. Time out. Some of you are feeling like, Steve, I can, correct, I can, I can help you here. I have the gift of admonishment. <laughs> heart to heart. If you don't have the gift of teaching, keep your admonishment to yourself. Now, now I'm not being mean about this. I'll try to be kinder. It's simply because in teaching, you develop the social capital the trust equity that you need to admonish. You can't walk into a conversation and just start blurting truth in the name of truth as if it were some objective sphere of knowledge that you have. No, no, you gotta be close enough to somebody to say to them, dude, come here a second. Your breath stinks. See, not everybody can tell you that, but your spouse can tell you that. Because your spouse is not just investing in you so you're a better servant of them. They actually love you. And so you'll take it from someone who has proven that they love you. I'll put it differently. If you love truth more than you love people, don't admonish. I know your hearts are good. And I know you got a head full of knowledge. You understand there's more involved and there's actual people and relationships involved in this. And we have to develop those. Last are the models. These are the uh, typically seasoned adults, older people that in one another communities, I see it happening here, you guys. The older people feeling like they have to step away from the discussion because their minds are not working at quite the same speed as they used to. And they start to feel distance and not valuable to the body that they used to serve so well. And what I'm learning is that in one another communities, there are people that you need in the center, not because they know things that you don't know, but because they have modeled for years what everybody is trying to become. We all want to be that. You don't have to learn anything else. You don't have to shape us up or anything. Just, could you just do that, what you're doing right there? Just do that for another 10, 20 years. Now we have something to look at. And we know where we're going. I think we have work to do. Yes? I think we need to let people into our circles aren't in there yet. I think we need spirits of humility that can hear hard things and say, you're right. I'm not there yet. We need to be tougher. I think we need some standards, some models uh, to rise in our midst. So we can turn to the Allisons, the Manduras, and the Slaters and say, see that old guy out there? Go do like that. 